It's basketball season and we've got you covered. The Ringer NBA show breaks down the latest and greatest around the league five days a week. Check out The Ringer NBA show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerNFL. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerNFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. It is the Ringer NFL Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Kevin Clark, joined today by an all-star cast, Nora Princiati and Kalen Jones. Nora, what's going on? Not much, Kevin. Had a delightful Mother's Day weekend. I saw my mom. We hung out. It was great. So I'm like, I've got all this great energy and I'm ready to go. Kalen Jones moves into a new apartment in Los Angeles. He's frustrated because all of the gyms around him are boxing gyms. Kalen, just join a boxing gym. Uh, I'll think about it. I don't want to get punched in the face, though. I'm not a fan of that. I don't know if that's you don't have what to get punched. Boxing gyms. Okay. The 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 point of joining a boxing gym is being able to say, "Hey, I was just at the boxing gym." Well, see, I want to so be able cooler. to say I lifted a metal bar. You know, like I'm I, as I explained on the last time I was on Ring Pod, I'm a small dude. I just want to be able to say I lifted a certain amount just to feel accomplished yeah but with it it kevin does have a point that if you do get into boxing it comes with the benefit of equipment that you can like leave around your apartment and then people comment on it when they visit you and then you get a chance to bring up well i was just at my boxing gym oh okay okay see it's kind of like how i have a a mahershala (laughs) ali story and i tell it all the time because it involves a boxing gym and it, it, it i like to tell it because it places me in a boxing gym Right. Like that's that's the advantage that to being a member of a boxing gym is when you have an anecdote, you can say, well, I was at a boxing gym. So that's just just some helpful advice. So I was okay, going to start here it. with D- DK Metcalf's foray uh, or re-foray back into track. But we had some late breaking news, which is that Blaine Gabbert has re-signed with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Super teams are killing the NFL. <laughs> It's unfair how good that it really is. is. And you have to wonder when the NFL is going to step in. Uh, Eric Fisher signs with the Colts for $9.4 million. Um, seems a little bit pricey for a guy where we're not sure what the health is, um, but it's one year. Uh, should be fine. And, and the Colts needed help there. Um, what we're going to do, and I'm glad Kalen's here for this, uh, hopping on. It's been a minute since you've been on, on, on our show, Kalen. We've missed you. Nuh-uh. Yeah, I miss you Kalen guys too. And I did, well, with both of us. No, with Kalen me. And I did with a show me, with Roger after the with me, I, night of the draft. I, I know you guys have independently. I'm I'm I have missed Kalen specifically. I miss you too, Kevin Clark. Thank I've you, Kalen. Thank you. <laughs> all right, all right. Enough of this. Um, we're probably gonna have some pods without you, Nora. Now, just for that, Kalen and I are just <laughs> gonna do our own pods going Whatever. forward for a couple Whatever. of weeks. All right. I'm sorry. I got territorial there. I just I really loved potting with Kalen and Roger, and I didn't want you to forget about it, Kevin. I would never forget about it, but I would. Also miss doing podcasts with Kalen. I'm glad he's here. What we're going to do, because we're in a lull, would we characterize it as a lull in, in, in the offseason right now? Absolutely. I think it's a lull. Yeah. It's a lull. So because it's a lull, we're going to look at what the next two months have uh, in store and what this offseason is going to look like and what the biggest questions are, what the storylines are going to be, and then we're going to answer them here. We're going to give you a little a preview of the next few months of football because it's going to be the same storylines over and over and over again, and we're going to answer those questions. So if you wanted to, you can just opt out. You can just opt out of the next couple of months because we're going to give you these answers right now. We're going to start with the rookie quarterbacks because I think that when you look, you know, 
great way to change football is to have a bunch of rookie quarterbacks come in. That's how people get fired. Um, that's how people get hired. They get promoted. Um, franchises change because they hit on, on rookie quarterbacks. Franchises flounder because they miss on rookie quarterbacks. Um, first of all, the over-under. There's a couple of sports books have this. The over-under on rookie quarterbacks starting week one this season is 2.5. Kalen Jones, is it over or under? Um, I'm going to take the under because that would be Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson. The, those are the only two that I could see like being day one immediately. As soon as we go into the season, those are the two that are starting for the respective teams. I don't know if Justin Fields, Mac Jones, Trey Lance, et cetera, are going to be able to either beat out their presu- the, the incumbent starters or whether or not the coaches will want to push them too soon. So that's why I'm taking the under. North Prince got it, 2.5. Uh, I think Kalen's reasoning is right, but I actually kind of take the over because I can see pathways both for Justin Fields, just because with apologies to QB one, Andy Dalton, like I, I don't, I don't see that happening. Um, at least in the long term, I think he could very well start week one, but I'm not, I wouldn't rule it out. Fields winning that job. The other one, and this is tricky because he's super high variance to me. I can see this guy sitting the entire year, but I can also see him starting week one is Mac Jones. I I don't think that you can rule it out that he's just going to be better able to execute the kind of passing offense that the Patriots have been telling us they want to do. And if he's getting reps in training camp and in the preseason and he's better at that, then I can see them saying, you know what, this is we've been telling people with our actions all along. This is the type of offense we want to be. And we did what we needed to do to, to get the best out of cam that we could for a year. It didn't go great. If Matt gives them more as a rhythm timing within structure passer, I actually think I can see that happening really quickly. But it's also Belichick who makes everybody earn everything. <laughs> so I can also see it it taking the whole year. But I, I guess if you put those two together, I'll take the over on the basis that if I go one for two with those guys, I still get it. Here's how I think the next couple of months are going to develop. So number one, obviously, Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson will be will be rushed to the starting job. Okay. I think that the have you seen the Jets quarterback depth chart? It's James Morgan and Mike White. Yep. Yeah. Congratulations, Zach Wilson, on winning the starting job. I did right. see a quote floating around that was like, he's gonna have to earn this. Well, I don't know about that, about that one. Okay. Like that's not the Belichick. You gotta earn a thing. Um, Zach, Zach. Uh, Wilson, we'll, we'll start week one. Trevor Lawrence, um, obviously. Both of those guys earned it by being the top two picks in the draft. Okay, so I think it's over because I think one of the the three that we're talking about, Mac Jones, Justin mm-hmm. Fields, and Trey Lance, gets there. And, and I don't necessarily know which one it is. Uh, Peter King on Monday morning said that he would set the over-under on Garoppolo starts at 10. In San Francisco, he would take the over. Uh, Matt Nagy has come out and said there's a lot of similarities between Andy Dalton and Alex Smith. Obviously, Matt Nagy was was in Kansas City for the for the Alex Smith the Mahomes transition, and said that if you kind of compare the personalities, compare the playing style, compare the way that that Andy Dalton processes things, um, that there's a lot of similarities with Alex Smith, and that maybe there could be a transition there. And then obviously um, with Mac Jones, the fact that Cam Newton is there, I don't necessarily think it it precludes uh, Mac Jones starting really early, but I also think that Mac Jones might be of those three um, the lowest ceiling guy. Um, so I think that that, that, that complicates things. Um, I do think it's interesting, by the way, that Trey Lance has, when you look at the, the Vegas odds here, Trey Lance has gotten 35% of bets of ticket percentage uh for offensive rookie of the year no one is even close to that so vegas and and the betters love what trey lance is capable of i think lance is interesting because i thought i saw seth galena say this on pff a couple weeks ago i'm thinking about it a lot it's not a scheme fit in in san francisco as much as a scheme expansion and it's it's the type of thing daniel jeremiah has compared it to steve mcnair a little bit um, and, and I just, I feel like if you, if you marry that with the fact that the Shanahan said he's quote obsessed with it, what they can do in that offense, I think there's a situation where maybe if they see him obviously at, at a mandatory mini camp, they see him early in training camp and they say, wow, this really raises our ceiling. I think that might be the easiest way to get to a September start for Lance, um, of those three. But I also think that I, I, I barring a trade, I think Garoppolo starts week one. 
I, I'm with you just because of Jimmy. I mean, Jimmy, the main issue with Jimmy is the injury history, right? It's, it's right. not that he's a horrible, horrible quarterback. I think sometimes it gets misconstrued. The thing with Lance, though, just to sort of play out what you're talking about here is that the catch with him is the inexperience, right? So there is yeah. a huge incentive to give him reps. He's also known as an incredibly smart processor and a really fast learner. So that additionally, they have all the incentive in the world to really weight the training camp preseason snaps in Trey Lance's favor. Mm -hmm. Jimmy doesn't need him. It's honestly a risk with Jimmy, right? Because you're trying to keep him upright and on, on two legs. But if Trey Lance is getting all of that work, which I would, you know, Kyle Shanahan is certainly more than willing to be one of these younger coaches who doesn't feel like you have to do the reps and the preseason games in the way that they've always been done. And it doesn't really matter. And it's preseason and who cares? Like, I, I think he can use that to his advantage in this situation. But if Trey Lance is as build such a fast learner and starts showing what that ceiling is, then things start to get a little tempting. And I'm not saying it'll definitely work out that way, but just in terms of what you're talking about, there's a really clear pathway to me in, in how he could just sort of wow them a lot sooner than you would sort of rationally expect just because the floor with Garoppolo, as long as he's healthy, is so high. Yeah, that's the other thing too. Like the rhetoric, I think, with Kyle Shanahan in that regard really leans to that idea that, you know, he could go into Lance sooner than we expected. Because again, like he... He mentioned at his press conference, whether, you know, it's just coach speak or not. He said, we needed a starting quarterback. He felt that there were five different starting quarterback caliber prospects in the mm -hmm. draft. And I would assume he wanted someone who was ready to immediately assume that role. Because again, he expressed kind of frustration with going back and forth with Garoppolo, not knowing whether or not he would be healthy going into the season. So I was, I'm still hedging on the idea that Garoppolo will be healthy and will still provide that floor as Lance gets accommodated into the offense. I don't know uh, what the offseason is going to look like as far as like preseason and training programs and whatnot. But uh, assuming, you know, it, it'll be a normal case or even a little bit wound down, I, I think that'd still lean Garoppolo just for me. But like you guys are saying, you guys are making great points. And I wouldn't be shocked at all if Trey Lance is immediately thrown in the fire, get the early reps and let him uh, accommodate to the league sooner than later. I'm so glad that we're talking about this because so I was reading Kevin Cole had a great piece on PFS. Yes. Um, yes. I had the today. notes up. I had the notes up. It's a great piece. Okay, good. The race to cite a, that piece is on and Nora has won that race. And I have won it. But I, Kevin, I'm glad that you have the notes up because this is one of those situations where, you know, he's using basically the thrust of the piece is that these rookie quarterbacks are entering pretty good situations. They, they will have pretty good supporting casts around them. And so the last draft with five first round quarterbacks was 2018. And only one in that group of five, Baker Mayfield, was going to a team that PFF assessed as having an above average support system of receivers yeah. and blockers. And this is where, Kevin, you can jump in with some of your notes because what Kevin Cole was using to explain all this was a combination of receiving war and blocking yeah. war. And I am not smart enough to explain it all without bungling it. So I'm just going to say that everybody should either listen to Kevin Clark's notes on this or just go read Kevin Cole's piece. But again, this group, all five of them are entering above average situations in terms yeah. of the receivers and the blockers that they have to throw to and to protect them. And what that means, hopefully right? Is that we get a clearer assessment of how good those picks are, how ready those players are, and how good those teams are going to be sooner. And it also may end up being sort of an incentive for some of the non-Trevor Lawrence, non-Zach Wilson quarterbacks, the other three, to get playing time sooner because their teams, they have to figure this out because they're set up, relatively speaking, better than some teams in analogous situations have been in the past to have their rookie quarterbacks, you know, at least be able to sort of show what they've got. Yes. So the Kevin Cole piece basically makes the point that, and this is not, this first part is not exactly rocket science. If the better supporting cast, the better the quarterback situation, the better the quarterback will be. 
Um, and the point is made, guys like Derek Carr or even Andy Dalton may not have survived a little bit of early hiccups earlier in their career if they weren't put in, in, a, in a good situation where the talent around them could at least prop them up in some situations. And the point is made that someone like Sam Darnold coming in a situation with terrible weapons and terrible offensive line, that, that working is a low probability event. The guys in sort of the, the quadrant there where they come in and in their first three years, they have a bad line and a bad receiving core and they succeed, uh, it, it's extremely rare. Matt Ryan is one of those people who 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 was early on had success. Although, listen, as the, the point is made, Tony Gonzalez comes in in year two and, and the building starts there. And eventually, uh, you know, within three years, he was having a lot of success and was considered probably a top 10 quarterback pretty early in his career. But in the first year, there were some struggles there, according to PFF. But then that quadrant there with Darnold, it's, it's your Brandon Whedon's, Josh Rosen, EJ Manuel, Blaine Gabbert, the aforementioned Blaine Gabbert, already two Blaine Gabbert references in this podcast. Um, but the point is made that, that that the five guys who came into this class actually have better situations than most of those quarterbacks. Even someone like Trevor Lawrence who's coming in with the first overall pick uh, to a really bad Jaguars team is actually set up a little bit better when you look at the actual talent on that team, according to PFF. Um, the fact that Mac Jones, so so Mac Jones actually has the best supporting cast um, ac- according to the, these metrics. Uh, when you look at Hunter Henry, Jonu Smith, Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne, listen, some of those were maybe overpays in free agency, but actually does sort of cobble together a, a nice little weapons cabinet if you're if you're Mac Jones and you're starting your one. Um, so I do think it's interesting that all there's no real disaster zones for any of these quarterbacks. I would say with Justin Fields. He's the most intriguing guy for me. Um, yeah, totally agree. You start to hear about the toughness, and that, that keeps coming up in interviews and how much toughness there is. For a guy like Justin Fields, for me, a lot of this is, okay, it's not just going in and saying, I'm a good quarterback, I'm going to be a good quarterback for the Bears. This is like going into a haunted house and trying to get all the ghosts out, right? And everybody keeps saying, well, guess what happened in the last? It's like you go in, oh, guess what happened to the last guy who was in the haunted house, right? Oh, you don't want to know, okay? And it's been 50 years of the haunted house, okay? This has not and, been a good and, situation And by the way, the you better get a lot of those ghosts out pretty quickly, or the guys right. that brought you into the haunted house are probably not going to be there anymore. Well, the guy who runs the haunted house doesn't have a long contract, okay? And the guy above that, who oversees the guy who runs the haunted house is also on thin ice. The ghosts are not happy. I'm not even sure who the ghosts are in the situation, but somebody's not happy. The ghosts are not happy. So scheme-wise, I feel like Negi can make this work. But this is also, there's just another level of this. You know, you, you've seen, I've seen a couple of people reference the fact that that Nagy ran more kind of wide zone play action stuff um, than he did in the last couple of years. Um, but this is not just a football event. As we said, this is a haunted house. Um, I think that, again, Andy Dalton can work as a sort of mentor, but you need to get Justin Fields on the field at some point. Um, Mike Sando this week said that there were some some executives who were a little bit worried about the tackle situation after cutting um, Charles Leno and, and going with the rookie in that spot. Maybe that doesn't set them up for immediate success. Um, but I actually just think that there's something there with the Bears. Um, Dan Pompey wrote a really good piece about this a couple weeks ago and just the different things he can do. Uh, he had a scout comparing him to Donovan McNabb, who obviously Andy Reid had success with in Philadelphia, and that there's some there's some skill set overlap there. But the other point that Pompey makes, which I thought was interesting, was it was a scout talking about Mahomes and how Fields isn't Mahomes, but Mahomes had a such a different skill set that you had to do things in the offense that were particular to him. And you're going to have to do the same stuff with fields because he has such a dynamic skill set. So I'm intrigued to see where Nagy goes on this, but I also believe the fact that the, the toughness I keep hearing about with Justin Fields is going to matter at some point because becoming the guy who breaks the curse uh, is going to take some level of toughness. Um, I think that the, the Mac Jones thing to me is fascinating. Nor, you know, the Patriots better than anybody. Mac Jones Going through training camp, learning that offense, which I, I understand is still as complicated as their gets from an offensive system. Uh, when does Mac Jones start and what does he do as a young player kind of learning everything, getting everything thrown at him in, in August, September, even October? Well, so this is where I'm saying that he's the guy that to me, there's the highest variance with when right. he could start because genuinely and, you know, sorry to cop out of your question, but I can genuinely see him sitting the entire year. And I can genuinely see him starting week one. And what it's going to depend on is, okay, so we we talk about 
the Patriots offense and the playbook and, and all of that. The playbook is the size of war and peace. Right. They are never using all of it in, in any one given year. It is too, it has been formed over decades and they actually, because of just sort of the brain drain that's gone on there, they're a little bit less equipped to be doing this all the time right now than they had been in the past. But usually what's happening is that people there who've worked together for a long time are very good at going back and forth and saying, oh, hey, you know, remember in 2006 when we did this against this team and it worked in this particular way? What if we do that, but we tweak it this way and blah, 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 blah. And all of that institutional knowledge has given them an edge dozens and dozens of times. And there will be some of that to a degree because that's just what they operate. But but my general point here is that they're not going to be beholden specifically to any one thing because it's how they've done, how they've run an offense recently. They will find the things that they think make the most sense for the personnel that they have. Now, that's challenging in some ways right now, right? Because Cam Newton and Mac Jones are very different quarterbacks. But what's going to happen is that they're going to zero in on what they want out of their, their passing game. And that's going to be pretty similar for, for what they're asking both of those two guys to rep during practices, whether that's OTAs, whether that's training camp, whether that's, you know, we're into September and October and November. I don't think that what's asked of those guys just as like in the normal passing game is going to be all that different. And that's the area where, because as a pure passer, Cam Newton was not very good last season. If Mac Jones is better, I think that will be more important to them than what Cam can give them as a runner. I think they would rather, and I think, you know, look, Mac Jones fell to them, but I think they were very happy to draft him. I think what they have told us is that they are happy to be a timing, rhythm, short passing, accuracy-based offense. And if they can be that and be a successful one with Mac Jones, they will embrace that and they will go for it. But if it's a difference of sort of 10% one way or another, that could mean that just the the added athleticism and ability to test different defenses differently in the run game that Cam Newton has, you could be pushed to that direction if Mac Jones is like 10% worse as a pure passer, right? But if that goes the other way, then I think they're just going to say, this is who we are. This is who we want to be. Let's go. So that to me is the most genuine like competition in some ways, because I don't know that, for instance, like Lance and Garoppolo doesn't really have all that much to do with Garoppolo. It's just about like they will eventually, unless something very bad happens, turn things over to Trey Lance. They drafted him with the third pick. That is obviously what they're going to do. Jones is like a little bit more in that, that middle territory where it's like, all right, 15, super happy. But we'll see if he has to sit an entire year. That's not a huge issue. And it just to me is going to depend on whether or not he can distinguish himself quickly as clearly a better option to run their passing offense as Cam Newton. But I think they will be operating in largely the same system as it pertains to that part of what they're doing. And then there will be plays for Cam in the run game that that Mac doesn't run. But largely what they will be asked to do will be similar. Kalen Jones, let's get let's get this topic over with this question. At the end of year one, at the end of year one, not, not uh-huh. beyond that, when we're talking about how these five quarterbacks were drafted, what is the first thing we're going to talk about? Who was overdrafted? Who was over underdrafted? Whatever it is, we're saying, man, blank, really messed up. What are we talking about in January? Oh, in terms of who messed up, I, I mean... I hate to say messed up, but I think Zach Wilson, again, I know we're talking about how favorable these situations are, but man, I mean, you're asking him to elevate the franchise and I'm not sure if year one, it's going to look a little iffy. I think there's going to be a lot of growing pains for Zach Wilson in in New York as, as much as I believe in the brain trust there and even Zach Wilson's abilities. I think it's going to be a little bit of a, a, of a growing process. Can I make a statement that's not important at all? Uh, that's Have you ever heard this podcast? <laughs> Great. Thank you. I need... So there's a tendency when people talk about quarterbacks, athletes in general, 
in the New York City market, there's this idea that, oh, there's it's there's all this pressure. It's a huge media market. You know, he's going to be it's going to be so tough when he has to look at what is on the back page of the tabloids every day. I'm sorry, but Zach Wilson does not read the New York Post. Like we need a different. He was born in 2000. They all live in like Florham Park, New New Jersey. Jersey. Yeah. It's not like they're they're They live in Times Square. I'm not saying that for like Mike McCagnan, that wasn't a thing. But for Zach Wilson, it is not a thing. Zach Wilson is like on TikTok. He doesn't care what's on the. I just I need we need a different example. I'm not saying that there's not a lot of added pressure to be in a huge media market. I'm not saying that living in Mm. in the tri-state area is not overwhelming for some people. I'm not saying that some people just don't like it. But that specific stand in as, you know, illustration of why it's difficult for some athletes to work in or near New York City is just not working anymore. And it needs to change. I don't think it's necessarily like Zach Wilson's going to care about what's on the tabloids or, you know, what the New York Post is saying and all I think that. I no, trying Kaylin, to look the, totally the Jets yeah. being I just think from the, the abyss is harder than Again, pleasing exactly. the New York Post. Like, Yo, I completely House agree. I completely three. agree. Yeah. But like, when we're we're on the talk page. about this, it's all the New York Post. <laughs> and it's just not right. all the New York Post, guys. I would say there's two things. Number one is that the, the internet and all that stuff and, and kind of the decline of newspapers has led to where you can be a superstar in any market. And I also think you can be hounded from a media perspective in any market. Like I do think that there's some, when, when you're not on zoom, when it's in real life, there is some energy that gets expent. It gets spent when you walk into a press conference and there's 35 people there on a normal day, um, as opposed to three in some markets. Um, but I think over zoom and I think some of that stuff will change. I just, I just think the media will become less and less of a, this is a loaded word, but distraction, right? Like distraction doesn't mean anything. It's, it's just, it's just a a blanket statement for anything a coach or a player doesn't like. Uh, but I do think that playing for the jets is, or the giants for that matter, or the Yankees or the Mets, um, becomes less of a big deal. Um, when there's not a hundred people at your locker and, and we're in that era right now. Okay. Uh, next question. The biggest one of the off season. The reason I didn't want to lead this podcast with it was because we're going to lead every podcast with it until it gets resolved. The question is what's going to happen to Aaron Rodgers this summer? Nora Princiati. So if I had to, so first of all, I have no idea. Like, sorry, no clue. But (laughs) if I had to guess, we'll be back next week. (laughs) I should have just started there, but I don't know. I just think sometimes like humility is important in these situations. If I had to guess, I think that he will play for the Packers next year. And then that will be his last year. I don't, I I now feel pretty convinced that Aaron Rodgers will not finish his quarterbacking career in green Bay. But I do think that they are in this place where they are kind of each other's best options, at least for next season. And I ultimately, if I had, if I had to guess, I would choose that that wins out. Here's the timeline. So veteran minicamp, June 15th to 17th. And that's the first mandatory activity that he can be fined for missing. They can find him about $100,000 for missing it. Then in training camp, it's 50 grand a day before you get into preseason games, at which point for each missed game, Aaron Rodgers would be fined a game check, which is like $800,000. So this gets expensive for him fast. And because of the new CBA, the Packers are not allowed to look the other way. That said, I think we're going to have a lot of conversations that use those dates and times as sort of markers of when something might happen. And that's natural. And that makes sense. You know, it's a cliche to say like deadlines do deals or whatever. But The thing that this got me thinking about is if we look at the league over the last year and some of the major storylines, okay, we've got this one. We have what's happened where the Eagles have kind of fallen apart. We have all these examples where you look at at organizations. Kind of. The Eagles kind of fell apart. Completely fell apart. Super Bowl champion to just a tire fire in like three years. I'm I'm about to make a point about like sort of emotional intelligence. So I was trying to be gentle. Uh, Mm. This is a really like in a, 
okay, football teams do things wrong all the time, but there are a lot of really, really, really smart people working really, really, really hard to make these teams good. And it's just fascinating to me that if you look at a lot of these situations where good things have gone bad, what seems to be missing is just like people skills or the decision to use those people skills. Because I would bet that if Aaron Rodgers and the Packers can find a way to work it out, which is probably in both of their best interests, at least for the next year. It's not going to happen right at one of those juncture points because that's when the tension gets ratcheted up, right? Yeah. Like hmm. for this to work, somebody's got to find a way to sort of diffuse the situation and come together and use just a little bit of emotional intelligence to figure out, okay, how do we put this aside for your benefit and my benefit and the benefit of all these other people who are on the team and then we can work it out later. But it's, it's, that's really, I don't know what's going to happen with Aaron Rodgers, and I don't know what's going to happen with the national football league. But my, my statement on the matter is that we could all use a little bit more emotional intelligence. So I, well, the first time I ever went to Sloan in 2011 or 2012, Mark, the guy named Mark Workentine was there. Workentine was the GM of the Nuggets for a while. Uh, then he was with the Knicks, I think, at this point when he said it. And someone said to him, what would be your advice on becoming a front office person in the future? And he said, okay, everyone now comes through college, takes statistics classes. They all study scouting. A lot of them have a niche, you know, oh, how do I translate this, this stat into this, whatever. But he said, the most important advice I can impart on you is to take an acting class. Because that is what you're actually going to have to do is you're going to have to get in front of people and just emote and just like get people on your side. And the most important thing is to just do that. And I think about that all the time as it comes to front office where it's like you can be the smartest person in the world, but at some point you got to convince people. And that's when that's when it becomes pure theater at some point. Right. And it's look, I'm not saying that everybody who works in football is the smartest person in the world. But these are high power jobs. They pay a lot of money. There's a lot of glory. Like the issue is not a lack of intellect or ability or critical thought. Yeah, it's a lack of In theater a lot kids. Of cases. I just said it. They should all go to theater camp when they're 15. <laughs> oh my goodness. Or you could just be, we you know, a decent it. human and just I think my wife went to theater camp one summer. Um, all right. I, let's I, pull ourselves out of this tailbone. Which one? Not one that you would have heard of. I went to theater camp in Vermont. (laughs) Wow. Tough one. Um, All right. Kalen Jones, Aaron Rodgers, what happens? Um, I wouldn't be surprised by any outcome for one. I think I need like the lay that out too, because I mean like that Mina Kimes piece from 2017, every time I hear Aaron Rodgers name, it sticks with me. Like the, the one where she opens up with the lead where, you know, we, after the Super Bowl, he won the Super Bowl and he's just kind of like, what now? And then everything yeah. that's unfolded since, you know, the drama with his family and then, you know, his public relationships and whatnot, everything that, you know, Aaron Rodgers stands for, at least, and uh, not to place emotions on the dude, but I mean, everything he's represented publicly suggests that, you know, his stance says, I'm going to be happy with Jeopardy. This is what makes me happy if you were to get it. And I'm not going to play football again. I wouldn't be surprised. I also wouldn't be surprised if he's the starting quarterback for the Packers week one. And so, like Norris said, I don't know what's going to happen. I just know I wouldn't be surprised either way. Maybe like a little shocked if something happened, but either way, I I don't know what the outcome is going to be, but I'd lean him end up being the starting quarterback for the Packers next season. I lean that way too. I think that first of all, I'd hate to be the guy putting together the schedule this week and not having any clarity in that situation because they have Packers chiefs and Packers Niners, both of which I'm sure will be, primetime Sunday night games, whatever. Um, and if it's Jordan love against Patrick Mahomes, that, that is not a Sunday night game. I've not been waiting all day for Sunday night for Jordan love. Um, okay. So as you said, Nora, the deadlines are pretty clear now post CBA. So we understand what that looks like. I don't think Aaron Rodgers is going to lose sleep over missing mandatory mini camp, but I do think once you start getting 50,000, uh, per day fines in, in July, if, if both sides are dug in by then, I think we might see a little bit more clarity. Uh, Jason Wildey, who is as plugged in as anybody in Green Bay, had a piece about this whole situation this week. And he said that the the problem is communication. And the problem is that Rodgers feels like he should have been in the loop, obviously, when before they select Jordan Love. Um, you know, the fact that Kirk Cousins was aware that the Vikings might take Kellen Mond and the Packers did not tell Aaron Rodgers that they might take a first-round quarterback uh, early enough 
is is really interesting to me. And obviously, Aaron Rodgers told that story on on Kyle Brandt's Ringer podcast. You can listen to it um, about how it, you know it, it took him quite by surprise. Um, he thought maybe there was going to be a receiver, someone like Justin Jefferson, which at that point was rumored that you know if 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 the Packers trade up for a wide receiver it would be Jordan Jefferson. Rodgers was not consulted when the front office released Jordy Nelson. Um, it, the phrasing is the Gutenkunst decided it was time to move on, and then Rodgers was told. So I guess there wasn't a meeting about that. And then obviously the Jake Kumaro incident, Kumaro incident, which we've we've talked about ad nauseum. The here. Jake um, Kumaro incident, yeah, Jake famous. Kumaro. The Jake, Incredible. the Jake Kumaro incident. But then you listen to James Jones, who's very close with Aaron Rodgers, who I believe <laughs> broke the Aaron Rodgers extension. Don't don't please don't reveal your sources, James Jones, on on who you t- who told you that Aaron Rodgers signed an extension. Um, <laughs> I think that. You know, John Kuhn talked about it over the weekend, a uh, former fullback. And I, I do think that there's some window for this to be fix, fixable. I think that they're going to have to pay him a gobs of money. I th- I wonder if Rodgers wants control. I've heard this a handful of times. You know, wants control of the timeline. He doesn't want to be pushed out the door. And you wonder if that means a longer guarantee than even the Packers are comfortable with. But then that's the tax you have to pay if you pissed off your quarterback. When you piss off a superstar... You have to pay for that in some way. And Aaron Rodgers is not going to let them out of this easily. Um, so I, I, I think it's it's interesting. Um, I think Peter King called it the calm before the storm um, because he doesn't think anything's going to happen in the next couple of weeks. Uh, the Packers are dug in. Rodgers is dug in. If I had to guess, I would guess that Aaron Rodgers is playing for the Packers this year. I would also guess just because of the way things are trending, I would guess he's the quarterback next year too in 2022 because I think Rodgers is going to try to exert some control over the timeline and, and the situation. Um, so that's that's sort of where I'm at with this. I think it's going to be fascinating. I think it's the kind of thing where it's just going to be kind of bombshells that that, that come out of thin air um, as far as it's just going to be some random Thursday and there's going to be some huge development that none of us saw coming, which by the way is kind of what happened with this whole situation to begin with, which was right. we were floating around from January when they lost the NFC Championship game until April. And then one afternoon, Schefter is like, I'm going to just completely break the news cycle. And then we saw what happened, right? And a lot of that, we, obviously, when you saw how many different reporters got so many different nuggets, all that stuff. A lot of that had some, to do with some coordination. But I also just kind of feel like this is just going to keep happening. There's going to be a day in, in a month where there's just totally new developments and every reporter has something, all that stuff. Aaron Rodgers is one of the most media-savvy quarterbacks in the history of football. He is so smart. He knows exactly how to play this, and that's how he will play it. And that's why this storyline is more fascinating than than most, I think. Uh, anything else before we move on? Yeah. So j- just just the point that you just made about how good he is at doing this is really important here because we've seen, okay, we've seen guys like Jamal Adams kind of go through these situations where part of what they're doing to try to change their situation, go to another team, get traded, get whatever they want, is how much public pain can you inflict on the people who technically, by the letter of a contract that you signed, have leverage over you. And I can't think of someone who's better equipped to do that in Aaron Rodgers, both because of his star power, but also just because he's really smart about this thing. Like even something so simple as, okay, did you guys see him at the Kentucky Derby? I did. Didn't love the, the didn't love the look. <laughs> yeah, it was a it was an odd choice. Um, a little dark. Like I don't, you know, use a little color, which is very, very black. But um he had the name tag that said Turd Ferguson. Turd Ferguson. Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's brilliant. Like th- that's yeah. actually kind of brilliant. You're making this subtle reference in this event that's taking place three days after the bombshell from Schefter on draft night, which by the way, and I'm not saying that, you know, I have any information to say that Aaron Rodgers like orchestrated it this way, but they embarrass you on draft night one year, you embarrass them on draft night. Like right. I'm just saying that's how it turned out. Yeah. Right. Then three days later, he shows up in public and he's wearing this little subtle thing that reminds everybody hey, I have this other thing that I like. And it's clever. It keeps the news cycle going. Right. It kind of makes him, depending how you feel about Aaron Rodgers, it's a little bit likable. It's a little bit like it can charm some people. And I I just, look, from a football fan, someone who loves watching good football's perspective, I would rather they just work it out. But from someone who loves drama, like Aaron Rodgers trying to just sort of like inflict media pain on people 
it is to an extent watching a master at work. I agree. So the Trent Ferguson thing is obviously a Celebrity Jeopardy Saturday Night Live Norm McDonald reference. Um, yes. Which, unless you're... I, it's the kind of thing that is at once Obviously. a deep cut and not a deep cut at all, depending on if you owned like the Saturday Night Live 90s DVDs, as I certainly did. Um, yeah, I, I think I just think there's there's a lot there. And and I think that Rogers, Rogers understanding of the media is going to play into this. I think that a lot of times um, guys who are trying to force their way out or trying to win some sort of PR battle are, are not as well equipped as, as Rogers are. And I, Rogers is. And, and I just I think this is going to be a fascinating kind of uh, I don't even know if you'd call it a Cold War. Um, it's uh, it's. It, have you guys seen Tenet? It's an ice cold war. Don't even know about it. We don't even, we didn't even know about this war until, until it happened. Um, quite like tenants. So anyway, uh, that's it. it, it it's going to be one of the most fascinating things to watch this summer. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm personal price plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Ringer NFL. Just go to Indeed.com slash Ringer NFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, next question. What is the biggest looming contract controversy? So the class of 2018 are coming up for extensions, and there's a lot of intrigue there. There's Baker Mayfield. There's Josh Allen. There's Lamar Jackson. There's other guys. There's, by the way, Aaron Rodgers is not a free agent, but there's going to be a contract controversy there. Uh, Kalen Jones, we'll start with you. When you think about the, the next wave of contracts, where are you looking? I'm looking at Lamar Jackson, and it's not because so much that the, the Ravens aren't going to commit to him. It's just so much that this sets a precedent because we haven't seen, at least I can remember, where you've had a guy whose game is so predicated so much on his running ability. And, you know, we talk about quarterbacks and preserving them and how much, you know, we really over the past, like past 15, 20 years have kind of discouraged teams from looking at quarterbacks who... Uh, put themselves in position to get hit because again, like their 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 longevity is not going to be sustainable, presumably if they're getting hit. So I'm curious to see how much the Ravens are willing to invest in a player that they know who is built a little bit more thinly. Uh, is not, I mean, he's he's one of the best quarterbacks in the league, obviously a, a unanimous MVP player. But uh, I'm just curious to see like what the Ravens end up doing in regards to giving him his money because. I've never seen a scrambling quarterback, a guy who, again, puts himself in his body in jeopardy so consistently is going to be expected to get, uh, you know, like Aaron Rodgers money, pocket passer money, where you're in the top five guy money. So I'm, I'm very interested to see how that works out and how the Ravens go about constructing the roster along with that, too. Nor Prince, yeah, I want to get your thoughts before I get into to Lamar. I think I think Kalen's right in the sense that those are all going to be sort of factors and and pressures that end up influencing negotiations mm -hmm. at a certain point though I, I think that Lamar is past the line where you really have a discussion in earnest about like okay quarterbacks are so expensive now like how do we find the right sort of middle ground like he's a franchise quarterback and franchise quarterbacks right. get big extensions and I, yep. I, I think that is ultimately going to be the deciding thing here so I think it's interesting because I was looking at the Spo track. Uh, market value tool, which I find interesting. And I looked at Baker Mayfield. And maybe I just have 2017 brain, 2016 brain. Because I was thinking, okay, maybe Mayfield is a $25 million a year guy in a shorter deal. Because he hasn't, uh, the last two years, it hasn't been, you know, franchise level guy, right? 
And Spocek has him at $35 million a year. And you start to think about it, and you look at his comparables. Jared Goff, 33.5 two years ago. Uh, Carson Wentz, 32. Just the price of doing business. It is just the price of doing business. And I asked Andrew Barry about this last season, and I said, hey, do you do you view this as a window where Baker's cheap and all that stuff? You could do other things. And he said, I, we just don't view that. Even though that's the narrative, we don't view that as an obstacle. Um, and he just doesn't feel like it's a big deal. I will say this about Andrew Barry. I've only talked, uh, I don't know, 25 minutes total, whatever it was. The amount of uh, overthinking he doesn't do is admirable. And what I mean by that is like you talk to certain GMs and I'll say, hey, what do you think about this? And they're like, oh, we've had 20 meetings about it and blah, blah, blah. And part of that's admirable. Part of that's admirable being overprepared, whatever. When I talk to Andrew Barry about certain things, and the two examples are the, are the Baker extension and uh, the lack of information in the draft this year. Both times he was just like, yeah, I mean, I, everyone's dealing with the same stuff. We'll figure it out. And I don't, know, I don't mean that he wasn't blowing me off. I just really feel like um, there's something where he is totally comfortable with any circumstances. And I feel like he's just a really good GM to the point that I think that whether or not they're paying Baker Mayfield $35 million a year or $5 million, whether or not you have every bit of information about a prospect in the world or none, um, I think he's comfortable with any circumstances. And that's the vibe I get from Andrew Barry, And that's why I think he's one of the best GMs in football. Now, as far as those quarterbacks go, so Spotrack has Baker at 35, Lamar and Josh Allen, at 42. Gulp. And I, yes, that would be the natural inclination. So all of these guys were free agents in 2023. Okay. Obviously the franchise tag can be extended three times. So that changed the value of things. But I think that you're going to see any, any quarterback who's a quote unquote franchise quarterback is going to be worth around $40 million. Now that's what's yep. happening that's the result of the Dak Prescott thing. That's the result of the fact that the cap is going to rise and rise and rise. Uh, everybody needs to get comfortable with that. Dak was four years, 160. I think the next franchise quarterback is around there. Um, you know, listen, Kirk Cousins, no one, no one taught the world how good short quarterback, short contracts and the franchise tag could be more than Kirk Cousins and his agent, Mike McCartney. Yep. And you wonder if, some of these quarterbacks might say, actually, just give me two years and, and we'll figure it out uh, or no tag or three years, and no tag, whatever it is. Um, you might see that from some of these guys. Um, but I, I, I really do think Josh Allen, um, someone like that's looking around 40. I don't know what Lamar's deal will end up looking like. Uh, again, Kalen, you made the point that, that the running quarterbacks are just value differently going forward. Um, but if you're an MVP and you're still playing like it, I, I, I think right now you're looking at around $40 million. Just, just the way it is. We're not, we're, we're not in the market for it, so we're fine. It's not my money. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. All right, next question, and it's a big one. Will any big player, other than Aaron Rodgers, because we already answered the Aaron Rodgers thing, be traded this summer? Nor Prince Young. Well, yeah. Yeah, so the, the, the big one is Julio Jones, sure. right? And Peter King had in his column this morning that he thinks it's 60-40, Julio gets traded by Labor Day. So that's one. And then, you know, let's 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 stay away from Deshaun because it's just not worth it. Then I think what you do is you look at teams that have guys at positions that they added to in the draft. Right. Is just one way to sort of identify some names. So the Falcons get Kyle Pitts. Does that mean that maybe Hayden Hurst is is expendable for them? The Jets. They got a lot of receivers right now. Jameson Crowder is a nice, nice guy to have on your roster if you're trying to get a young quarterback up to speed. But I don't know if you quite feel that way at, at $10 million. 
And when you're bringing in Elijah Moore, you're hoping for a bigger year from Mims. You've got Corey Davis. Maybe you start thinking, all right, if we get a good offer, if we can do a little bit better entering the last year of his deal than we would do in the compensatory pick formula, then maybe that's worth doing. You know, I think you can look at the Saints roster and identify some guys that maybe if they can do better via trade than they would do in the comp pick formula, if they lose guys because they can't afford to keep them, then that could make sense. I don't know what Nick Foles' role is on the Bears roster anymore. They're tr- so Adam Kaplan uh, reported they tried to trade him and they can't. Tough right. scene mm-hmm. for our guy, Nick Foles. <laughs> that is tough. That is, that's not, it's not ideal. But, you know, and, you know, I hate to see this happen, but training camp injury, like whatever. The only thing worse than your team trying to trade you and not getting any interest is it being reported that no one wants you like that's <laughs> you hear back and it's like, I Oh man, this sucks. I, was like, I don't know, Kevin, I don't know what's worse than that, but yes, no, that is it's true. like, Oh man, this sucks. But then, then like everybody's writing about how just nobody yeah. wants you. That's nobody. Like, I think sometimes I always, I always feel really bad for players when you hear that somebody found out about like some big life changing thing, not necessarily a bad thing, but like a trade or, or whatever on Twitter. Yeah, it would yeah. be probably worse to just like be scrolling and see like, oh, I'm staying exactly where I am because they can't even find a bidder. Ah, and good times a, on the old news feed. There's a uh, an all or nothing show about Tottenham Hotspur from last year where this guy who's a, a quite good player named Danny Rose once off the team and he's right. not really well. Broadway you know, Danny Rose. Broadway Danny Rose. Um, so he once off the team and. He is, they're trying to find a, a bidder for him for either a permanent move or a loan. And they were like, okay, well, you can go to Newcastle, which is in the north of England. And Danny Rose says to the guy who runs the team, he's like, well, did you ask, uh, did you ask Milan if they would take me? And then it was like, it's a real heat check. And then, and then the guy, and this is on camera because it's like a reality show. It's like, I, I don't think that the Milan is an option right now. And they show him and he's crestfallen. It would be the equivalent if like, if there was a reporter and they were like, we don't want you anymore. And then you're just like, well, uh, did you ask the Washington Post if they would hire me? And they'd be like, well, I don't know about that. Anyway, Nick Foles is Danny Rose is what I'm saying. Um, All right. I'm with you on Julio. Uh, I, I too thought it was interesting. You know, I keep hearing a second round pick from a lot of people is is kind of where where the bidding starts, and we'll see what happens. I I do think that the broader point I want to make about all of this stuff is that, you know, Chris Greer said this, and he said it to me in the past, but but he said it today on, on NBC where he was like, you know, it's a different age now with GMs, and this is younger and. Things are, and maybe it's the, the quote-unquote money ball effect, which he he says he attributes a lot of it to, that there's just more aggressive general managers. And that I th- kind of think, with the exception of a handful of people, everyone's kind of available. Um, we've seen that with the Rams, where they're totally comfortable taking huge dead cap charges on guys. Um, teams are just okay uh, taking big swings now. And so I don't think a- anymore we can look at the offseason or training camp or August or whatever and say, oh, only this person is on the trading block. I kind of think that you're going to see an expanding trading block because I and it just that that's just sort of the, the way there's just enough GMs who are OK taking the call on certain guys to where you might hear names that you wouldn't expect. I think that 99% of the top level of rosters are set right now. I don't think there's going to be another Julio Jones uh, becoming available in the next couple of weeks. I'm just saying that I think that we all need to be prepared to kind of expand our minds on what's possible on the trading block, especially as the season gets near, because there's just a lot of GMs who are either their teams are in transition or they, they might blow it up, whatever it is. Uh, that where where we could see some interesting stuff. We're all on the trading block in this game called life. <laughs> we sure are. We sure are. <laughs> That's a, what. What this has been, I feel like there's been a lot of life lessons in this podcast. Very yeah. great. All right. Last question. Well, the, okay. So, oh guys. Okay, guys. What? I'm gonna I'm gonna break news. So Tim Tebow was signing a one year deal with yes! the Jaguars. Yes. 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 <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. As a t- as a starting quarterback, uh, Trevor Trevor Lawrence will 
will sit for three years. I'm joking, by the way. He's going to be a tight end, right? <laughs> yes. It looks okay. Like, oh, let's see. Uh, this is hilarious. Um, let's, let's see the news here. Uh, deal will be official in the next week or so. He'll have a chance to make the team to reunite with his mentor and college head coach, Urban Meyer. So I had heard some rumblings about this a couple of, uh, well, after the initial report. And then basically, Meyer sees Tebow, possibly, best case scenario, as a guy who can certainly kind of not necessarily implement his offensive system, because certainly it's changed over the past decade, um, but kind of establish, hey, here's what coach wants. Um, kind of a vibes guy. I I I don't think that having Tim Tebow Tim in training Tebow, camp vibes guy. I don't think having Tim Tebow in training camp is like the the worst move in the history of football. I think it's fine. I think if they're trying to feed him the ball or something out of some weird loyalty, I don't think that they're going to do that. But I'm saying if if it somehow took away from the team, um, you could you could hate this move. But I I think this is okay. I think this is okay. I also think that Tim Tebow. Uh, hitting the baseball after not being a baseball player in the minor leagues was a sneaky, uh, incredible accomplishment. Nora? Uh, I'm, I'm with you on that. I just think in general, people don't understand how hard professional sports are. So right. yes, agree that that's a big deal. Um, I do think that there's a possibility or even not a possibility. I would just like to thank Urban Meyer for inadvertently giving us the test case of whether or not we can do Tebow Mania 2.0 on the 10-year anniversary. It makes it easier. It makes it easier when we're doing the 10-year anniversary stories to now get Tim Tebow now that he'll be standing in a locker in Jacksonville. Yeah. That's important. That's important. Basically like accidental fodder for media analysis thanks to Tim Tebow and Urban Meyer. And I, for one, am here for it. Wow. Big for content and keeps the Jaguars in the news cycle because everyone forgets they went 1-15 last season. I don't know what you're talking about. They have Tim Tebow now. They have Tim Tebow now. Everything is fine. Unofficially. All right. I'm sure we'll have more on that. Um, just I'm just coming down from this Tebow high. This is just unbelievable. Um, let's get to the last question here. Uh, will the structure of the 2021 season change anything about the season? Nora Prince yet. I th- you know, I think it will. Um, first of all, this is neither here nor there, but in, in Albert Breer's column this morning, somebody had done the math for him or he'd worked it out. Going from 256 total games to 272 means that the total possible combinations of ways they could configure the schedule, instead of it being a number that has 20 zeros, it's now 40 zeros, which is just, just math blows my mind. Um, I wanted everybody to know that. But look, I was thinking about Tom Brady, who was recently on Friday on an NFLPA call with with all the players, kind of encouraging them to pressure their organizations into changing how the offseason works to reduce wear and tear on on players' bodies. I think notably what was interesting about that was that Brady was not really asking anybody to boycott, which the NFLPA has. Now, Brady was sort of supporting their general cause without supporting the specific actions they were asking players to take, which I think illustrates kind of the difficulty that the PA's position is in because the idea of actually boycotting those things is something that I think a lot of players are are currently unwilling to do just because it costs them a lot of money. Um, Even when you get down to things like just daily stipends for rookies are, are not not meaningful. Um, but I was thinking about it and look, we have two Super Bowl winning Tom Brady seasons within the last five years that came one after he had to take the, because of his suspension, took the first four games off. And then the most recent one came after this off season that was really seriously abridged. And that didn't mean that he wasn't working out all the time and and doing things on his own time and getting guys together. But I do think that we're already experiencing this give and take between how much time should these guys really have to spend during the offseason at the facilities? How much time in season should they have to spend at the facilities? What's our view on veteran rest days? Just generally, what is the optimal ratio of work to recovery that players should be putting in? And I think when you add a 17th game, inevitably, we're going to have another cycle of that. And it's going to be something that teams and players are going to have to fill, um, 
sort of feel out. And it's eventually going to trickle down to things like, okay, does an 80% snap count incentive in a player's contract really make sense in the same way that it might have two years ago? Like, I I don't know. I I genuinely don't fully feel like we're going to know until the end of the year what teams did in terms of, okay, do you try to spell your starters for five extra snaps per game? Or do you just say, hey, look, this is what we're doing now and we want the best guys on the field? I don't know. But what I do know is that we're already sort of towing a line between what football players are are asked to put their bodies through. And that's without a 17th game. And now we have one. So, yes, I think inevitably there will be some changes. There will be some unintended consequences. But we're not really going to know until we're all the way through it. Yeah, that's really interesting. I hadn't thought about like the long-term ramifications of that because, yeah, it does kickstart a whole nother cycle of keeping the discussion of whether or not, you know, how you manage these players' bodies when they're literally car crash collisions on every single play. That's been the discussion of 16 games. There is no extra bye week. And like you mentioned, players are already, you know, having conversations about how to preserve themselves and whether or not this works or not, or this is ideal moving forward. So... That's a great point, Nora. (laughs) I just think like 16 to 17 doesn't sound like a lot in some ways, but this is the first time the number of games has changed in like four decades. Like it's it's really not an insignificant thing. So first of all, Brady said on the call that no pitcher throws 95 miles per hour in December or January, which I think is probably a good point. Also, listen, the, the, the theory about kind of what the NFLPA is doing here is that NBA teams don't get together on July 28th and just have a weekend. Um, It's informal workouts, if anything. Uh, Same with baseball, even though pitchers and catchers support kind of early. Uh, I I think it's an interesting fight for the future of everything. I will say, so Brady was on a watch podcast today, like not the watch, not the ringers watch, but like an actual like wear it on your watch, a Hodinkee radio thing, where he's talking about his favorite watches of all time. But he was talking about the the season last year, and he said that he and the captains of the Bucks had gotten together recently, and they talked about how they didn't really know each other for most of the season. And I kind of feel like that, and we heard the story about how Bruce Arian's wife hadn't even met Tom Brady until the podium at the Super Bowl. Um, I kind of think that there are stories all over the league like that, where they were getting to just sort of understand each other on the fly as the season went on. That's one of the reasons, you know, we were talking about it this time last year. It's one of the reasons we thought the Bucs were going to get better as the season went along. I didn't know they'd go from losing, you know, by four touchdowns to the Saints to to winning the Super Bowl. I didn't see that happening. Um, But I did know that they were going to peak later in the season because of that. I don't know what this season looks like. If there is, you know, if there's only, if there's no in-person stuff um, for much of the offseason, if there still is, and we don't know the answer to this, limited training camp. There are so much kind of unknowns um, that I, I, I think there's a lot there. I also think, by the way, the Brandon Bean comments about vaccinated players, about the fact that he said he would cut oh, right. an unvaccinated player um, if it's, if it's you know, if it comes to that. Um, obviously, if it's a super duper star, it's a different conversation. But if it's a bottom of the roster guy, we kind of we, we might know what that looks like. Um, I think that there are probably more questions and answers about the structure of this season and what this looks like. It's obviously going to be a smoother season this year. Um, but I still think we're going to have um, there's probably a lot of unintended consequences. I will say, by the way, on that watch podcast, I, I actually would listen to it uh, if, if if you're a football fan because Brady kind of opens up a little bit in a way he doesn't normally. And they asked him, they said, do you ever have imposter syndrome? And like you expect famous people to just be like, oh yeah, I'm, I, I'm just so lucky to be where I am. All blah, blah, blah. And he was like, nah, what you see is what you get. Which is classic Brady. Brady's just like, nah, I'm here. It's me. Real, qu- Incredible. Real quick, like the another consequence I think will be like, you know, you'll see more playoff teams. It's really fascinating because, like, you know, going into the final, like, two, three weeks of the NFL season, there'll be teams who, you know, they're hovering around 500. They're still in the playoff mix. I mean, since 2002, the, the 2018 Texans, this is like, I guess you could put a banner for them for this. They're the only team to go 0-3, and start a season 0-3, and then still reach the playoffs. That's, like, their only good thing they've done in the past 20 years or whatever. And 1992 Chargers are the only team in the in NFL history to start 0-4 and make the playoffs. So I think like this extra game gives your favorite NFL team, if they're hovering around 500, if they're not good, it gives them another week of, are we still in this? Do we actually have a chance at this? So I think it'll, it'll in terms of parity, I think 
I don't know what the math on it would be, but I assume there's going to be slightly more parity uh, going down to the wire. There's always hope. Always hope. Always hope. There's a they, sell, they, they traffic in hope. The NFL traffics in hope. Um, awesome. Guys, anything else? Anything in your notes you want? You really want to talk about? What's up with this horse? It got canceled. Cancel culture. You heard him. You heard Shoot. Bob Baffert. <laughs> That's all I got. I don't have anything. <laughs> wow. The horse got canceled is the ultimate end of this, this show. Uh, Bob Baffert, his drug is, uh, his, his horse had drugs in it. He said it was cancel culture. <laughs> I just don't know. Drugs in it. I just don't know. I don't know. Oh I feel like the horse should have to have like a press conference. They should get the horse. It's and so do you remember Gronk the horse? I do. This is a story for another time, but I once went to the, um, the Belmont with the Gronkowski family and a horse named Gronk. And my favorite thing about that day, there were a lot of favorite things about that day, but one that will forever last in my memory is that, um, all of Gronk, the human's brothers would sometimes slip into calling the horse Rob, Mm. which was not its name, but I thought was really lovely. So that's, that's what I'll leave you with. Gronk the horse, not canceled. (laughs) My favorite Rob Gronkowski detail, the Gronkowski family detail is that they don't have assigned beds. If you're familiar with this, they just just, sort of, they just sort of have beds throughout the house and that wherever, wherever they end up, wherever they crash is their bed for the night. That's the the Gronkowski brothers way. A little bit, a little bit like it, a little bit like it. This has been the Ringer NFL show on the Ringer Podcast Network.